And a good day to all of the unfuckers, subfuckers, eurofuckers, and all the other types of fuckers that are out there. Welcome into Shoutouts, baby. Uh, as you know, we're splitting these up. We are here midweek at some point. I don't know what day this is going to drop. Only 99 knows when this <laughs> is going to drop. But here we are. Hey, 99. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How's your How's your mental health today? How are you feeling? Great. Yeah? Conquer the world. Okay, let's do this together then. Okay. Shall we? Yeah. One quick update from the last episode, and then I just want to talk a little bit about the episode before we jump into emails and contacts, but go ahead with your update. Sure. Well, first, I also want to say that unlike the last two show notes, we're recording this after. So, right. Well, after the show's dropped and we've had some feedback, whereas we recorded it right after, but now we can incorporate your episode feedback in. But regarding last week, it came to our attention after we put the episode together that Erica Chenoweth, who we referenced their TED Talk, uses they, them pronouns instead of she, her pronouns, which is what we used. And we just want to apologize and, uh, you know, set the record straight there. It's always important to use people's pronouns and correct yourself when you find out. So apologies to Erica Chenoweth for that. And thank you, of course, to 99 for picking that up. And uh, I just want to talk very briefly before we jump into emails and contact forms about the episode itself. And nobody mentioned this in the, the feedback that they gave, but when I finished it and then I finished putting the essay together on Substack, I had this feeling that the initial piece from Piketty was a little bit more of an outlier in terms of the theme of threes that we put together for quickies. And when I listened back to it, I, I really felt like I didn't actually make the point that I was attempting to make when I first drafted the piece on Piketty in the beginning, which again, as a reminder is he does a, a tremendous amount of economic research with respect to both social justice, economic justice, and climate justice. And his overarching narratives are beginning to take shape that any type of justice activity that relates to life on this planet begins and ends with climate justice because without understanding where we're headed with climate change, none of the other tributaries to that fact matter. But I specifically pulled out one piece, which was to do the math on a concept of an inheritance, a universal inheritance. So some of the research and some of the proposals he's making in Europe are to create some sort of universal inheritance where every person that turns 25 is given a lump sum of money, just like the wealthy accumulate their money in pretty much every, I would say, industrialized nation that does not have a real progressive estate tax. And that's how they're able to gain intergenerational wealth. And we played the clip from Robert Reich explaining how it's possible that if the current trend lines continue the way they are, at least in the United States, which again has more than its fair share of billionaires and billionaire families, we'll have a such a disproportionate share of wealth, which includes assets, real estate, actual cash, stocks, bonds, those types of things, where only a couple thousand families will literally own almost all of the wealth on the planet, which is insane. So one of the mitigating factors that Piketty is proposing is to have some sort of universal inheritance, even though he's proposing funding it from an existing tax base of wealthy people, which in this country wouldn't fly because, of course, we would see that as a direct redistribution of wealth. And it is. So the reason that I was putting that in there, though, is to show that there is big thinking. And that's one of the big narratives that that I feel we need to keep pressing on. The idea that big thinking has gotten lost here really since Milton Friedman took over economics and then all of the 
political and social aspects that relate to it in the 70s. It takes big thinking to unwind the big thinking that got us into this mess. And yet we have a Democratic Party that just has all of these small tactics and all of these small ideas that really never move the needle. In fact, I would say that over the last 50 years, what we see is that the Republican Party is the one with the plan, and it's been influenced by the libertarian strain of the right, which is becoming the burgeoning alt-right, and that they've created these long-term mechanisms that have established inequality and reduced the number of health and human services that we have or any of the other protections that you get in a normal society that looks to take care of its people. So in order to undo that, we have to have big thinking. So history over the last 50, 60 years is Republicans having these big thinking plans and then Democrats periodically coming in to kind of take the edge off of them, but then they always revert back. So you can look at progressive taxation, you can look at all of the areas with health and human services, social services, social safety nets, what we do for the unemployed, what we do for the homeless in this country. It's always 10 steps forward for the Republican Party and one step back where the Democrats try to put some things back into the box. But the overall trend line over the last 50, 60 years is that the Republicans are definitely winning the battle. That's why inequality in this country is growing so much more disproportionately than it is in other countries. So a big idea like what Piketty is proposing is something that wouldn't really gain traction here, but we have to start having those conversations. And what I should have put in there to demonstrate this is talking about like that child tax credit. We got a taste of what that looked like and we, we got a taste of how it really truly on the ground, research backed, figures backed, 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 reduces poverty, literally saves children, saves childhood hunger numbers from growing out of proportion during the pandemic. These things really did help. Can you imagine what some sort of inheritance would do to move the needle for families that struggle paycheck to paycheck, particularly when there's children involved and particularly when the social safety nets don't really exist to save them when they fall through. So what I should have done is link that to say they're having these conversations in France. You have one of the great modern economic thinking minds proposing something like a universal inheritance, and here we can't even get the child tax credit passed. We should at least, at a minimum, be standing up and gathering what Erica Chenoweth was talking about, a significant part of the population to weigh in to push for something like the child tax credit, not just being a tax credit, but being a direct payment to families that helps prevent childhood poverty and, you know, sometimes death by poverty among the most fragile class that we have in this country. Anyway, so that's what I should have done to kind of round that out. That was the theme of big thinking that I was trying to pull in. Then to talk about Chenoweth's theory that it actually takes much less than 5% of the population to galvanize around a particular issue. But then, of course, if we're going to galvanize around anything, it has to be with respect to climate justice, because then we can sort of backfill all of the other areas related to climate justice that have you know really broken the backs of the poor and the working class in this country. Anyway, had I been a little more present putting that together, that's what it would have sounded like in the original episode. And I'm glad we are actually taking this chance. This is, I think this is going to be really actually cathartic, not only to incorporate some of the feedback really directly and of the moment, but to be able to go back and reflect on these episodes to try and make a better, cleaner point. So that's that. And with that, let's get into emails and people that filled out the contact form on our website, which is unftr.com. You want to start? Yeah. So just 
start out, we have our friend Bobby McDee, who gave some feedback and said, I hope you're right about Putin inadvertently lighting a touch paper that could galvanize people around environmental issues. And he had some other stuff in his email, but he ended it with, a few UNFTR creatives have been in touch with me and we're exchanging ideas. Some are looking for inspiration and external pressure to create. I hope to be that pressure. We'll keep you posted. That's incredible. Thank you, Bobby, for doing that. Uh, Celtic Apache wrote in a really lovely email talking about my mother's passing, which I really appreciate the sentiments there. And then talking about the episode in general, including, well, my mind goes to the Russian people. This is a quote from Celtic Apache, who at no fault of their own are now suffering the consequences of all the sanctions being put on Russia. Just because their leader is making unhinged choices, a poor single mother is having a much harder time taking care of her kids. That in turn reminds me of all of the women and girls now living under Taliban rule in Afghanistan. Every step of the way, poor people are suffering due to the choices made by rich, powerful, mostly men. So that was one of the points that we were making toward the end of the episode. Again, further drawing on Piketty's research and incorporating that into the climate justice to show that 90% of the world actually lives within standards that would help us comply with the 1.5 degree target that the IPCC just put out to cap essentially global warming at 1.5 degrees Celsius above where we are right now, which would prevent catastrophe that would be very difficult for scientists to model beyond. Remember that point used to be two degrees. Now it's one and a half degrees. We actually have much less tolerance and threshold for global warming than we had previously thought. Point is that among that top 10%, that is clearly kind of blowing the curve and contributing the most to global warming, you could draw a pretty straight line back that it is the global north and where is the power base in the global north? That's obviously among very wealthy men. That's why Piketty's research, that quote that I gave in the very beginning was about, we need new models for climate justice that include racial justice and feminism. If you had gone back 10, 20, years or even all through economic history, you don't see people really speaking in terms of racial justice and feminism baked into economic models. And that's why I appreciate Piketty so much. So Celtic Apache, thank you for uh, writing that in. Intersectional feminism, I might add. What is that? Well, there's a large cohort in this country, you know, white feminism, where it's, mm -hmm. it's only an issue if it happens to white women and not, you know, women of color. So just want to add that little caveat there. Yeah, brilliant. Now, getting more to the economic side of things, James H. wrote in about the episode and said, while I agree with your points about not worrying about oil from Russia, my research, admittedly not from primary sources, when having a similar argument with others, showed that Russia is 7% of our imports and 3% of our use. So that is a great catch, by the way. And James H., what I did was I went back to a primary source. I went back to the EIA and measured over the past decade the amount of crude oil imports and related products, because remember, it's not always just crude, so you're talking about different distillates and gas itself, uh, natural gas, that is, and the amount of imports that we get from Russia. And if you look at the data over a decade, the number is actually about 4.5%, so it's not the 7 and it's not the 2. So I appreciate what you brought to bear there. Going back even further, it does reduce the average, but I don't think that's fair so I'd rather stick with the last decade and go more towards the point that you're making that it's a little bit higher than what I'd put out there. If you look over a longer timeline, you know, the average of the Russian imports that we've taken in since we've been measuring it, remember that's gotta be from a post-Cold War era. 
and then the number comes down much, much lower because obviously in the beginning we didn't bring it in. But I don't think that's fair to say, oh, I I manipulated the numbers to say over the past 35 years, it's actually closer to 1.9%. So let's go with the middle number between us and it's about 4.5%. James H., great catch. Thank you for that. And continuing with the white on white crime episode, but talking about NATO, Tyler wrote in that eliminating NATO under the current circumstances in Ukraine just to appease Putin would be reckless and foolish. Okay, hold that thought for one second, because Tyler, I agree. But let me go back and again clarify why I brought that up. Tyler goes on, makes some other great points and concludes with, I think NATO and the USA's membership is by far Putin's biggest deterrent from upending Eastern Europe for his psychotic fantasies. So let's link these two things together. On the latter, well, apparently not. So if NATO really was a huge deterrent to Putin, then he wouldn't be doing what he's doing now. And he wouldn't have forcibly and illegally annexed Crimea. And the question, of course, is how much more emboldened would he be were he successful in actually taking over Ukraine? So it's actually shown that NATO sits there as just this provocative military-based entity. Again, it is not for trade. It's not for negotiations. It's not for diplomatic purposes either, really. It's meant to propose a military bulwark against Soviet and then Russian aggression. That's the only reason that it exists. And so if the Russians are indeed being aggressive, then apparently it hasn't worked all that well as a deterrent. Going back to your original point, would taking it off the table now be foolish and reckless? Yes, I, I believe that you are correct. My point is, though, that instead of blanket sending weapons to Ukraine and not pursuing a vigorous diplomatic route where we could have, of course, threatened the full force of NATO because it still exists and then made it clear to the Russians that, you know, we hear you and we're even prepared to disband NATO in favor of, of a different sort of diplomatic and economic alliance. And if we put that on, on the table, are you going to withdraw your troops? It was never even proposed as an option. And that's my greater point here is that we have this provocative institution that should have gone away at the end of the Cold War. And that's not just hindsight is 2020. The architects of NATO and the architects of the containment strategy believe that NATO should be disbanded after the Cold War ended because it no longer served the military purpose for which it was established. So if we had gone with vigorous diplomatic rapprochement to Putin with Macron and with Boris Johnson and with Poland and with all of our other allies in the area and said, by the way, you're right. And that does not justify what you're proposing is going to happen next. And you need to stay further in check. But yeah, it's on the table that NATO will go away. And if with that diplomatic reach, he still invaded Ukraine and didn't walk away with a win. Because remember what we said about Kennan's words. You cannot meet Russian force with pure force because it will serve to embarrass them if they lose and they can't save face in those negotiations. We're so similar to them, it's ridiculous. But we didn't even put together a diplomatic strategy. We didn't even propose a diplomatic strategy. There was no concerted effort. We kept warning the public that it was gonna happen. The only one who actually went to the table to try and get anything done was Macron. 
But even still, that all of that failed because we didn't come together. What good is NATO if it can't pull together all of its leaders to say, this is the date that we're meeting. This is the summit that we're going to have. And we're going to walk away with a deal to stop your aggression. But the, the U.S., of course, can't lose face. And this idea, this outdated idea of NATO, you know, going away is just not something that we even contemplate in this country because, you know, we like to keep all of our military apparatuses intact, even if it's a, a loose coalition that was never, in, you know, intended to be around this long. So, Tyler, well done. Appreciate the uh, the feedback there. And those are my thoughts there. One more note. I wrote down a big note here. It said, stop sharing photos of children with U.S. weapons. One of the more disheartening developments that I see on social media and the mainstream media is the celebration of citizens taking to the streets with weapons in their hands and the lineup of Ukrainian forces taking shipments of arms and putting automatic weapons in the hands of normal citizens that have never been trained to use them before. And then glorifying these photos of children, you know, with their, you know, blue and white flag around their armbands holding automatic weaponry, waiting for the inevitable invasion. These children, these people, these normal citizens are going to be annihilated. And we shouldn't be celebrating loading them up with their weaponry because all we're going to do is further propagate the conflict. We're just going to keep this going. And there's nothing that average citizens can do, despite how many times you've watched fucking Red Dawn and think that normal citizens can rise up and actually take on occupying forces. All you do is lead lambs to slaughter. And one of the best, again, I go back to Hedges a lot when it comes to war correspondence, but he was talking about this very same situation in all of the Eastern European wars that he covered for two decades and some of the military incursions that he covered in the Middle East. And he was saying that in the Eastern Europe in particular, this was how they would go about it because they did not have quality training and standing armies after the Soviet Union collapsed. So they would just outfit their citizenry and they would inevitably, as it was in the case of Yugoslavia at the time, they would be annihilated. So if you're one of the people out there that is celebrating the defiance on display by the Ukrainian people by showing them outfitted with U.S. weaponry and saying, see, we did a good thing and look, they're so brave, stop. That is not a human solution to what's happening right now. All you're doing is cheerleading a slaughter. So stop. And on that really plucky note, let's get into <laughs> some general feedback and some questions. Do you want to start us off, 99? Sure. So Theoden H. Uh, let us know that he put together a book club. Hoorah! Said it might not start until summer because they're teachers, but they're getting there. Of course they're teachers. Teachers are the best people. <laughs> and he asked for some suggestions. So any any books you think they should start on? Well, I see that Theoden's top three starter picks are Dark Money, Kill Switch and the new Jim Crow. Yes, yes, and yes. Kill Switch is a great idea, by the way, because it's really current and I think gives a lot of great context for the congressional malaise. If I would add anything to it, I like new Jim Crow as anyone's introduction to racial justice. It's probably the most accessible and mind-blowing book if you've never thought about these themes. If you're going to build on that, though, then I would suggest The Color of Money. And in terms of how fucked up the influences are on the power structure in the United States, I can never stop recommending The Family by Jeff Charlotte. 
you know, it's different than I think these other takes here. But Charlotte is a wonderful writer. And because it's a firsthand account of reportage, of undercover reportage, it reads almost like a breezy spy novel. It's it's really incredible. But what he unearthed in the family was game changing. So those are the five that I would have up there. I think the three that you picked are, are brilliant. So and well done. And please let us know how it goes. And if you want to open it up to other unfuckers, let us know and we can we can share the details out. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that gets into what Charla exactly. wrote in, right? So Charla Big Sky suggested a virtual book club. I mean, absolutely, right? Yeah. Very cool. I know I'm like the boy who cried wolf. I keep saying like, I'm thinking about it, but we're, <laughs> we're getting close. We're trying out different platforms. I think we mentioned it later here that Knudsen set up a Facebook group. So we'll, we'll link that in show notes. That's that's an organic, unfucker meetup place, you know, not moderated by us. So I think we encourage that because we can and we will have something official eventually where we moderate it and Max and I pop in and Manny, of course. But I think having these unfiltered conversations without Big Brother there, mm-hmm. like that's one reason when we found out there was a Reddit, we didn't, you know, we don't hop on it because... I think it's important for listeners to have a safe space to have discourse about the show without feeling like we're watching. Are people in that Reddit thing? Do you know? I think so. I mean, I like Reddit, but I don't, you know, like I said, it's just, I think they should be on their own. Fly free little birds. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Rob L. wants to know, well, Rob L. says, I know what neoliberalism is and I know postmodernism and I know, says, Neckanism, and I don't know if that was intended to mean neoconism, which I assume it is. So let's let's say neoliberalism, postmodernism, and neoconism. But I'd like to know their relations. Can we have one on their relations? Maybe a mini history. Yeah. So coming up with the intersections between neoliberalism, the neocons, and postmodernists. Maybe that's not a full episode, but maybe that it, maybe that is part of a quickie, right? I think why this is a quality suggestion from Rob is that neocons and neoliberals were often used, I think, interchangeably, and and they are different. So if you can think of Cheney and Rumsfeld, for example, as neocons, a lot of the Reagan era assholes are true neocons. I would actually consider uh, Hillary a neocon as well. So anybody that sort of came out of that era but neoliberals are a, are a different breed. Neoliberals are neocon apologists so long as what we are hawkish about serves our economic needs. It's a good discussion to have. They're just unpacking the difference between neoliberalism, at least, neocons, and even the new libertarian strain of the alt-right. I think talking about the subtle differences between them, you know, for example, like why the the neoliberals of today don't like Bush, who is a classic neocon. That's a really important thing, I think, to understand about the fracture on the right. The most important thing to understand about the right in general, though, is that no matter how fractured it is, it does have the ability to coalesce around a single person idea or candidate when pressed by alternatives that would actually carry us forward and and progress a little bit as a society. So anyway, who do we got after Rob? Then we have fiscally conservative, moderately progressive American who said, I thought I was woke and now I realize it's much deeper and darker than I ever imagined. And they suggest the rise and fall of American unions as a topic. They're a proud union member in a right to work state and get fucked out <laughs> and get fucked out of the American fantasy. What? 
in a state. right to work and get fucked oh, out of the American fantasy Okay, state. got it. <laughs> so being a, a union member, I'm fascinated by the labor movement past and present. So guess what? So, yeah, uh, dear fiscally conservative, moderately progressive American, we did an episode on unions, but and we focused mostly on trade unions and the history of them. And to talk about the diminishing impact of unions on the national discourse and uh, policymaking over the years. Check that out if you haven't yet. And if there are certain deficiencies, and there are many deficiencies in that episode, by the way, that you think are of particular interest to unfuckers, then please let us know. That episode, like many of our episodes, wasn't intended to be a here's everything you need to know about unions episode. It was intended to be a primer and sort of a foundational episode. So if there are areas you would like to see us go with that more specifically, please let us know. We should do a quickie update about sort of about maybe union busting, but also just there's been a lot of progress even since we did the episode. I don't know if Starbucks had successfully unionized when we did it. They did, just the one. Right. And now there, I think there's more either have or are a lot more trying to. Mm-hmm. There was uh, a girl fired recently who was one of the main organizers of the union. So there's that issue where they're obviously trying to like, you know, shut her up a little bit. Yeah. There, I think there was something going on with not union busting, but something happening with UPS. I think an insane salary cut, something like that. And then, I mean, there are more too, but I'm, I'm interested in that, that we could do kind of like a, a nice, interesting update. Maybe about different tactics maybe to we show should, the different sides. So maybe we should go Rick Wolf style and talk about modern union efforts. Everything from co-ops to ESOPs to straight unions that are, well, the difference between service unions and trade unions. What unions kind of look like today, the benefits and protections that they provide. There are, you know, there, it's almost like there are unions light that exist mm. today. And then there are really hardcore labor unions that still exist. And we should probably start to unpack the differences in a in a current format now that we've laid the foundation. So I think that's definitely a good area for us to go. Yeah, like um, the isms episode, but for unions. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Oh, I love that. Hmm. Okay. Jake was talking about how the UNFTR canon has, has evolved. And I am going to start using the UNFTR canon instead of catalog because it just sounds smarter. So... Number one, Jake, thank you for that. Uh, and I'll give attribution. Number two, he says, one more thing. We have a bookstore, Kim, here in Belfast, too. Holy shit. That's so crazy. Now, that would be cool if we could unite the Belfast Kim with the bookstore Kim from where? Lindenville. Lindenville. My brain still says Lydenville. Lindenville. Like, N. Yes. So we've got Belfast bookstore and Lindenville. Lindenville bookstore Kim. Got to bring the clans together. Bookstore Kims. Bookstore Kims. I like it. Yeah. Across the pond there. Uh, we could do bookstore pen pals. It could be each other's pen pals. So cute. <laughs> so if you own a bookstore and you're somewhere, we'll find you a bookstore owner in another country with the same name and you guys could be pen pals. Or should we just first try to find all of the bookstore Kims? Maybe there's more. Oh, Maybe like they're a, like Highlanders. Like a weird bookstore Kim coalition. Yeah. Or like the end of Buffy when they all became the Slayer. Oh, uh, here we go. What? Nothing. I went Highlander. You went Buffy. It's fine. One of us is cooler than the other. One of us is old. They're going to remake the Highlander, by the way. Is Mel Gibson going to be in it? Oh, God. 
He's probably directing. <laughs> I am William Wallace. Anyway, Raphael G said, Macron is a dickhead at best, an authoritarian at worst. But he's the same kind of Trudeau, Obama, liberal sweetheart that has the veneer of respectability. So Raphael G was giving us sort of a current quick take that we had asked for from the last episode to tell about. Talk to us about how do you view Macron in France? So Raphael hasn't been in France for a while, but, you know, went on to say that, you know, a couple of things that I th people don't really understand uh, about French politics on the ground there is that um, Macron, by many, is seen as an authoritarian. Police violence in France is bad, like really bad, not as fucked as the U.S., uh, Raphael says, but comes very close in their opinion. Talking about race is really taboo and says, but then as in the U.S., any notion of even tangential to critical race theory is shut down. And then it goes on to just talk about some of the issues on the ground in France that sound very, very similar to the United States. Uh, so I, I, I appreciate that uh, outreach there. At some point, I think unfucking France would be a very good idea. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I was talking about last week, though. The Obama, Trudeau, yes. Macron, yes. hot leader club. Mm -hmm. That's a quickie. That is a quickie. Uh, Elijah Can we Jay? call it the hot leader club? You can. You can put it in quotes. Okay. I mean, objectively, they're name someone better looking. Um. Yeah, I have one. Okay, who? But I don't want to butcher the pronunciation of her name. Okay. It's the Prime Minister of Iceland. First of all, everything that Iceland does is awesome. I didn't <laughs> know we were sharing women. That changes the whole game. Well, why wouldn't we? Well, I just thought specifically at this moment I was talking about But she's about that. not an asshole. So we're talking about hot leaders that are assholes. Okay. Oh, here the, the Obama core of our of the unfucking audience Katrin? is gonna go crazy again. Jacob Stotier. I'm gonna go with that. Okay. Well, we'll have to do a quickie on hot leaders who aren't assholes, as you said. And then your girl will be in it. Okay. Fair? Fair. Totally okay. fair. I get the assholes, you get the nice ones. Yay. <laughs> and then we had Elijah, Alex, and Bryony, who all sent emails about being veterans or raised conservative and having moved to a more progressive ideology. And we've read them all, put them in a doc for the episode, and uh, keep them coming because we'll be all all amped up for, for when we do the Save the Troops episode. I sure will. I sure will. I have sort of thoughts and swimming around my head about an upcoming collaboration that we have to see if there's any any fit there as well. But I think these are great testimonies, so thank you for sending those in. From Facebook, and a couple people, oh, Darling Mickey weighed in, said, you know, it's fucking awesome. You guys, I just got a request from Bob Knudsen. Okay, my mind is blown. Darling Mickey and Bob Knudsen are now connecting on the Facebooks, which means at some point, you know what this pretends is that we're all just going to wind up meeting in the metaverse, right? I'm not entering. That's disgusting. <laughs> oh, I thought you said it's disgusting that I'm not entering. No, the it's just the whole idea of the metaverse. It's I'm just not. Be too commercialized I'm not doing it. It's already commercialized. Yeah, yeah it's it's, it's going to get. It's way beyond. Called this. metaverse. Yeah, it's not called VRverse. I'm going to be the person in the cave, alone. <laughs> I will. No, I, you believe? Come on. I'll be helping you light the fire. Thank you. Just <laughs> you, me, and a couple microphones, and hopefully we can find a gas power generator somewhere or a, or a solar power generator. You can get like a us. little hamster. Or a hamster on a wheel. Yeah, yeah. I know that's kind of animal abuse, but they like it. Do they? Well, they need to exercise. Yeah. We just have to set our recording around their exercise schedule. 
I'm, I'm willing to do that. Okay. And Jen S. said, my fellow unfuckers who are following Unfucking the Republic, please check out this episode. This is the one that they got hooked on. It focuses on the intersectionality between MMT and feminism. Which one did uh, Jen share? So Jen was suggesting a different podcast, which we actually mentioned last week, the Macro and Cheese podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's an episode of Macro and Cheese with Pavlina Cherneva on MMT, feminism, intersectionality, and momentum. I have to listen to that. Yeah. I got to get I got to get there. Thank These you for the reminder. New friends. Yeah, that too. That too. Great. That's a great suggestion. And and I mean, it just goes right into what Piketty is saying too. Perfect. What happened over on Twitter? So for Jesse Time 4 said about last episode, incredible episode with a message and a call to action that even makes a cynic like me want to feel a little hopeful, which is really sweet. And and that's what we need. And then Tommy Lee Mayer said, great episode this week. Interesting correlation of the economic and climate disparities between the top 10 and bottom 90 percent. We, the left, should rally behind being first to net zero. The right does PR better, and this could be our shot to finally outdo them. So they each shared a hashtag, and we should settle on one of them. I like these. So Jesse's is hashtag number one is net zero, and Tommy's is first hashtag first to net zero. First to zero. First says. to zero. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to look. Yeah, there's, we we have to we have to settle on one. There, there's one thing I'd love to teach our Twitter our Twitter fuckers. Oh yes, this is a very good. What's it called again? Camel case. So when you have a hashtag, if it's a word like first to, first to zero, it's best practice to capitalize the letter. So capital F, capital T, capital Z. Even though that's not really how hashtags have historically been, it's best practice because, and as you know, we are committed to accessibility on our website, in our episodes. It's very important to us because it's part of just general inclusion and, you know, people with disabilities are a marginalized population in this country and the world. So when someone with a screen reader is on Twitter, on any social social network with hashtags, if there aren't capitalizations, their screen reader is going to read it like first zero. It's going to be all one word, one jumble. But if it's capitalized, camel case, it'll read it as first to zero. So you'll see all of our tweets on and Instagram. Anything with hashtags always says camel case. And if you ever see a tweet that doesn't have it, it's me. <laughs> and I will have deleted it and retweeted it. It's just so bad. You know how many times 99s just ah, we've gone over this. You have to do it. I'm sorry. It I'm really sorry. is the hill I'm going to die on. And <laughs> I get so mad. I get so mad. I saw a former coworker of ours, to tangent very quickly, who listened to me, you know, yell about it for two years, post a LinkedIn post, no camel case. And I said, I'm not fucking liking this post. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> no one listens. Wow. I told you it's a hill I'm going to die on. It's just, it's just a small change. It is. And it makes it more readable it for does. everybody. You're right. <sighs> so, OB Sandy cautioned against confusing Putin and his oligarchs and his flunkies with just Russians in general. The Russian people are also the victims of these vile kleptocrats. Couldn't agree more, OB Sandy. And at Content Zaro said, listening to the latest episode, a beautiful au revoir to your mother. Thank you. I didn't expect to be sobbing in the shower this morning. Sorry. <laughs> Second, thanks for speaking sense. Seeing leftists defend and what about Russia is breaking my heart. The only right side is the proletarian side. We'll bring it back a big theme for us. I like that. Thank you, content Zaro. And again, thank you for writing in about my mom. Over on Instagram, we've got uh, old Mick Lugel Schmortz back. Right. The second I heard 
$779 billion. I knew you would fuck up the defense budget in some way. So again, that was uh, just to go back to where we started this episode. Giving $180,000 to everybody that turns 25 in the United States would have come out to almost exactly the same number as the military budget. And I was so happy when the math worked out because that's not where I was going, but, yeah. but I was just trying to demonstrate how preposterous it is. Now think about how preposterous it is that we won't even use our military, right? No. In some sort of fanciful way to defend people that are being annihilated, right? Or until we turn Ukraine into Vietnam. Right. So like, what? what is the fucking point of a budget this enormous? I know. And the Bernie quote was so perfect because he was like, 779. <laughs> This year, and it was one year. Yeah, it was just a perfect setup. One year, and and every year it is set to increase. It is astounding. And then again, like we've said before, if you put all of the other expenses related to taking care of our veterans, taking care of the bases, and taking care of Department of Defense Homeland Security spending, which is not included in this budget, by the way, and cybersecurity. Within a couple of years, we're going to hit on a trillion dollars a year. A trillion dollars a year just to hold one this. One trillion whole, dollars. One trillion dollars just to hold this whole apparatus together. And I'm not suggesting that we should have sent our military there. To the contrary, this just demonstrates that even in the most absurd case where the entire world is against the aggression of a country, we're still not going to use our military. A military is there. According to the Founding Fathers, if you want to be an originalist, to simply protect the homeland. So we have a, almost a trillion dollars ready. What if we just gave that money to the people? How about that? What Never. if we did it? If we just, like, transferred Bitcoin to everybody? Yeah, let's just give $779 million, billion dollars to the people. We need a few more subscribers. Okay. Okay, we'll get there, right? I yeah. think we have almost uh, 175 right now, right? Billion, 175 billion subscribers. Close. Yeah, yeah. Close yeah. to that. Using uh, round figures. <laughs> and Tim V, who had asked us to cover the war in Ukraine. Yes. As we were covering the war in Ukraine, just the timing of the message also you know, came out funny. I uh, said thank you for the new podcast and covering the war in Ukraine. I don't know if it was me provoking you to do that. Uh, it wasn't, but we're happy that the timing worked out, Tim. And Tim is also now taking care of himself by limiting news consumption, which is a very, very good idea. Did we, and what is this? We have a review? It's a comment on Podbean. A comment on Podbean. Hey, people use Podbean. People like Podbean, yeah? Seems to be, right? Get a few thousand uh, listens in there. You have 95 subscribers on Podbean. 95, woo! <laughs> okay, I guess they don't. Oh, well. I don't think it's, I personally don't care for the U.S. Ah, that's user experience mm -hmm. to those non-designy peoples. You know, 99's always shaming me for, like, using acronyms. And then she just, you know, throws out, like, I don't have the U acts. I was telling you. Well, maybe people, maybe you people max out there. Off, Mike. Oh. <laughs> so this is all going to get cut? I mean, I was going to. Blah, blah, blah. But now you're making it part of it, I guess. <laughs> um, and we yeah. got a review, right? Comment. And we got a comment, yeah? Yeah, on Podbean. On an app? Yes. Why don't you just bring this in? <laughs> So Feel Great says, hi, guys, love your show. Yes, 99, you do sound young. Brilliant, but young. I would have guessed 25 tops. Hmm. I just thought because we were talking about it last yeah. week. Interesting. Yeah, everyone guessed it's like how many jelly beans are in the jar. <laughs> My roommate bought jelly beans the other day, and I said, okay, Reagan. <laughs> She's very mad. <laughs> 
He loved jelly beans. I love jelly beans. <laughs> I pick weird... out all the black ones and smash them. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> so we moved coffee donations to the end of the show. If you didn't realize, we flipped, kind of flipped the whole show around. Well, that's not true. We just swapped emails and coffee donations mm-hmm. because people want to hear from us and people want to hear from each other. And so that's why we, we put emails up top. I think it makes sense. Yeah. So we want to start off. All right, so let's rifle through these. Joel became a member, loves what we're doing. And then Maria from Puerto Rico. This was, we talked about it on last week, but she became, she upped her membership and says, as always, I love what you're doing. Keep up the great work. Susan D became a member, said thanks for the excellent work. Trilobite Jake F became a member and said, absolutely love the fucking pod. Kenan H. Kenan. Kenan? I think so. I have Kenan in my head from George Kenan. All right, not George Kennan, but Kennan H, or Kenan. maybe Keenan H, became a member. Keenan H became a member, said, kicking ass like always. Keep it up. Who's, no one's name is Kennan. <laughs> if it was Keenan, it would be two E's. Is Keenan like Keenan and Kel two E's? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. All right, fine. I take it back. Okay. Ryan Fly became a member. Can you talk about Michael Parenti right up there with Uncle Gnome in my book? Hmm. Yes, we can. I don't know who that is. I do. Another one. I do, but it not I, not enough to continually quote, but yeah, we can. Suvi became a member, been listening since the beginning, and says, it's about fucking time I became a member. Well, everything on your own time. There's no good time, bad time, or any time that you, know, you even need to become a member. That's why we're so highly, highly appreciative of people when they become members. So thanks, Suvi. Welcome. And this, this next member is very important. So Maza or Maza became a member. Where have you been my whole life? You somehow make me feel smarter, sane, and more hopeful with each episode. I have to listen to each podcast three times, but then I can hold a conversation with my hyper-intelligent friend, Starlotti. Oh my God, Scarlotti, Starlotti. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Ooh, see? The whole universe is really starting to come together. I know. These little bridges. Yes. Coalescing. We've got bookstore Kims all around the world. Mm-hmm. We well, now we have Maza that, and Starlotti. I don't know that Belfast Bookstore Kim listens yet. Right. We got to get her too. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Knudsen's hooking up with people on the Facebook. I mean, this is this is big. Mm-hmm. This is big. Sarah L became a member. I'm an information junkie, and y'all are my new favorite dealers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then Abdul K became a member. Says, I love you guys. 99 has the best laugh. I rewound today's episode several times just to replay her laugh. <laughs> yes, weird and creepy. I know. But if loving 99 is wrong, I don't want to be right. I hear you. And then Abdul suggests an unfucking of the U.S. role in post-colonial Africa. Yes. Yes. Just all yes to that. I have so, I have so, many, I have so many thoughts on that. So let me just say yes. A hearty yes to that. Thank you, Abdul. Jennifer S. bought three coffees and also became a member. Very cool. I love when people do both of those things. It's like tipping. I know. It's, it, ha- it happens often. It's pretty cool. I, sometimes I'm like, did you make a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Oh, and Nathan bought 10 coffees uh, as a donation in honor of my mom. Thank you, Nathan S. Not Nathan Second, but the original Nathan S. Thank yes. you so much for that. That was very kind. And then Z. Reed bought a coffee. And Jim Q bought five. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Oh, geez. Here we go. <laughs> well, so so Jim Q wants to, to wade into the, the fish the fish world. Jim Q is not a fish fucker, mm-hmm. recognizes their talent, mm-hmm. wanted to call out that fish would not be 
fish without the Grateful Dead, which 100%, I'm also Fair. a deadhead, 100%, yeah. like, don't worry. But then he disparages John Mayer, which I don't love. <laughs> That's funny. He's like, John Mayer's great with Dead & Co., but he shouldn't compose his own music. And I'm just, that's not fair. And that's not true. Hasn't he done some fucked up things? He has apologized and repented, truly. I genuinely believe that he is not the person he was when he said, my dick is a white supremacist. Mm. I think he was like kind of an edgelord back then. Good Lord. I know, it's not good. He's a hell of a guitar player that much. Exactly. But I've like I've said, I do feel that people can grow and change and learn and become better people. I know and a lot of really, really capable musicians that really think he's amazing. He is amazing. Yeah. And he's even if I get it, you know, you're these not that I don't know how old Jim Q is, but a lot of the, you know, the older deadheads, they they can't get into his his solo stuff, which I get. If you're not, you know, he's more singer songwriter. If you're into jam music, it's not really the, like a natural, but he his music is wonderful. It's like, you know, trying to really wrap your head around uh, Nash Bridges after you've been, you know, so involved with Miami Vice over the years. You know, I just couldn't accept another Don Johnson vehicle. I'm sorry. Of course. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's the same, same scenario. Totally the same. Exactly the same. It's so weird how I can't even tell the difference. And that concludes show notes for this week. Yeah, I guess late housekeeping again. That's what I'm calling this uh, this segment is late housekeeping. Okay. Our boxes for the beer arrived. Yay! I picked out special boxes that are certified with all these fucking things, so the beer doesn't break in the mail. Do they say that? Does it say that on the label? Certified with all these fucking things? No, but I'm. I'll write it on on all of them. Okay. But but so that means. They're going to be shipped soon. We do still have a few unclaimed. We we kind of, I think we put it out at 20, but I think we've had a hearty. We might have a handful left. Okay. That are un... un so basically, if you become an, uh, an insane level member of the show, that's how you get the beer. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, so that's where we are right now. If you still... You now mind know, you, it's insane. Oh, yeah. We're fully well aware of it, but this is a limited run beer for now. Um, I mean... I, I can't speak to any future production because I don't work for the brewery. So I don't want to be like, it's never coming back, but it <laughs> might. So I don't know. But right now, very limited supply. And a good reason to shout out and thank yeah. our, our friends at McFleshman's. Yeah, they were, they were super nice. They did this basically on their own dime, mm -hmm. giving us this gift to give you, to give us support, to give Native Coffee Traders support. So that's why it's an insane level perk. Um, we're not trying to fleece you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other housekeeping or are we good to go? I think we're good to go. All right, unfuckers. Uh, hope you dug show notes, and we'll catch you on the weekend. Bye. Later. Bye. All right. Is this the ending? I think so, okay. for now.